Hello and welcome to this Rash Decisions podcast, where we look at skin-related issues, conditions and treatments in an interesting and informed way. I'm Dr. Roger Henderson. I'm a GP with a long-standing interest in this particular area of health. And I'm Dr. George Moncrief. I was also a GP that I've now retired from my practice and I was the chair of the Dermatology Council for England. Now, in today's podcast, George and I are going to be talking about topical steroids and what we should know about them in our practices. In a week's time, we'll be talking about some of the potential issues and difficulties linked to topical steroids that we all need to be aware of. So do make sure you check that one out. But first of all, George, I always think it's a good idea to talk about what topical steroids are, even though most of the healthcare professionals listening will know about these. But certainly our patients certainly imagine these are types of steroids that the drug cheats in sport or professional bodybuilders use in order to gain muscle mass and strength. And I think I actually have one patient who I prescribed a topical steroid for and said, I'm not going to turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger, am I? And I think they're only half joking. We both know that isn't the case. Yeah, Yeah, I've certainly encountered that as well. Yeah, well, well, topical steroids are powerful anti-inflammatory agents. And as we all know, they're related to the natural steroids produced by adrenal cortex, by the adrenal glands, which are, of course, essential for health. And they're also part of our body's physical response to stress, so stress hormones. On the skin, they rapidly relieve the signs of inflammation. So they relieve redness, itch, swelling, and the other features of inflammatory skin conditions. And as we all know, they they range from the very mild to the super potent. Interestingly, actually, the strength of a steroid is assessed by how much vasoconstriction it causes when applied to the skin and how long that vasoconstriction lasts. So we're using vasoconstriction as a surrogate marker of their potency, but it seems to work. They can be prescribed as creams, ointments, lotions, gels, as well as spirit-based solutions and foams. They're often combined with an anti-infection treatment in combination products such as Dactacort and Canestin HC or Fusidin H, where the HC or the H stands for hydrocortisone. By the way, actually, the hydrocortisone in these products is a very weak form of hydrocortisone, hydrocortisone acetate. But not all types of hydrocortisone are weak. For example, in Locoid, which is a very potent topical steroid, it's hydrocortisone butyrate. So if you just say hydrocortisone, you need to be clear which particular salt you're talking about. But other combination products contain these more potent topical steroids, including, for example, Fusibet, which, in my opinion, combines a fairly useless topical antibiotic, Fusidin, with Betnovate, a potent topical steroid. I think Fusidin's had its day, and nowadays the bacteria we're trying to cover with it, like, for example, Staphylococcus, are 98% resistant to it. And then there's Dermavate NN, which is another one I don't particularly like. It's a super potent topical steroid, which is great, clobetasol propionate. But here it's combined with a topical antibiotic, neomycin, which I don't find desperately useful, and nystatin, an anti-yeast agent. So I rarely find myself needing to use Dermavate NN. There are also, obviously, combination products for things like plaque psoriasis. So we've got Dovabet gel and... 
Now we have N-stellar foam where the active ingredients, the potent topical steroid and the vitamin D analog are in a non-crystalline state. Sure, and those those are really coming into in, into focus now. I, I often say what I've learned over the years that the treatments often depends on on two things. The first, obviously, is how effective that treatment is in itself, but secondly, whether it's actually used properly in the first place. And I'm sure we've both occasionally known patients with absolute steroid responsive skin problems that would clear in a trice because of using steroids, but they've come back to us because their skin just hasn't cleared and we've scratched our heads. Then we've asked the question, well, how have you been using the steroids? And they actually haven't used the steroid at all because they've been so worried about possible side effects from it. And we forgot to explain to them just that they were safe to use. And that's such an important point and one that can cause such friction sometimes, isn't it? I think it's such a really important point and I think effective communication is so important, isn't it? Patients are often scared by media articles or ill-informed, albeit well-intentioned advice from friends or family or even sadly from healthcare professionals. And this can result in the treatment not being used as originally intended and prescribed. And it's just so frustrating for doctors to see a patient, isn't it? That when they return with a steroid responsive skin condition, they've been given the right treatment already, but that hasn't been used. And you, you see the tube and they've had it for six months and it has barely been touched. They've just been squeezing out the most minute amounts. So I think it's in these situations, it's so important that we communicate and explore our patients' concerns discuss those, acknowledge them, and where possible, dispel any mistruths and misunderstandings. And I think we sometimes need to speak to our other healthcare professionals, colleagues, nurses, even pharmacists, to ensure that we are all actually giving the same advice. It's so important that we get that right and, and we dispel the mistruths. Absolutely. And seeing from the same hymn sheet in our practice teams is absolutely vital because with the best intentions, occasionally you can find the practice nurse giving slightly different advice to you or the district nurse giving slightly different advice to the practice nurse. And the poor patient's stuck in the middle, scratching their head, saying, well, I'm not quite sure exactly what advice is, is best for me. So that's an absolutely crucial point. Another one, obviously, is how the healthcare professional team should be advising patients use their topical steroid treatment in the first place. And again, you know, there's so many different variations on this. I suspect if you ask 10 GPs how they should be best using topical steroids, you might get 10 slightly different answers. But they've been around a long time now, haven't they? Well, yeah, we've been using topical steroids now for over 70 years, which means they've been around longer than paracetamol. So we know how to get the best results from them, and we know what to expect from them. In my practice, actually, I recommend that topical steroids really only need to be used at most once a day. Using them more often provides minimal additional potency, and I think just simply increases the risk of side effects. I generally prefer to prescribe steroids, topical steroids as ointments, as these have a very low water content and so they don't need preservatives. An ointment also is more likely to stay in place and doesn't spread onto the adjacent healthy skin. 
And of course, an ointment being greasy enhances the skin barrier effect and prevents water loss. And a lot of the skin conditions that we're treating, there's, there's a barrier problem and they're dry skin conditions. Eczema, for example, and, and psoriasis is a dry skin condition. So that ointment is, has a further therapeutic effect there. But the problem with ointments is that they're generally less cosmetically acceptable. And patients don't like that sticky, tacky feel but they're much more inclined to be happy to use them. If you say, look, you only need to put it on once a day at bedtime, and that's a lot less inconvenient than using it during the day when they need to use their hands or their bodies wearing clothes and things like that. The only exception to using ointments, I think, is when you're treating a very moist eczema, for example, in the flexures, where an ointment just wouldn't adhere to the skin well enough and a cream might be preferable. It, stay, it, it, it adheres nicely and can be absorbed more easily. And the other, of course, is on hairy skin areas, including, for example, the scalp, where I would generally prefer to use a foam or a gel. Um, foams, I think, are particularly nice. I rarely recommend the spirit-based, more alcoholic solutions, as these can be quite irritant, particularly when you're putting them onto inflamed, nasty sort of sore skin. One of the tricks I've learned over the years, if I see a male patient with um, quite a red face or they've got facial irritation, I always ask about their aftershave. And you'd be surprised the number of men that still splash what is almost neat alcohol onto their face uh, to get the sting. Uh, <laughs> you've got to remember, remember that one. Today's podcast has once again been made possible by the kind support of Aproderm. Aproderm is the company behind a range of innovative emollients that include creams, a gel and an ointment, all formulated to soothe, moisturise and protect skin affected by a whole range of dry skin conditions, including eczema, psoriasis and ichthyosis. As a long-standing GP, I haven't come across a better range of products to provide effective relief from a range of dry skin conditions. They're also simply great daily moisturizers. So why am I such an apoderm advocate? Well, firstly, they're suitable from birth, which makes prescribing so much easier. No worry about whether it's suitable for use on a baby. In addition, the whole range is free from the common irritants and sensitizers found in many other products. These include the usual suspects such as parabens, sodium lauryl sulfate, benzyl alcohol, colouring agents and fragrances, just to name a few. And the complete range is suitable for vegans and is cruelty free. So it ticks all the boxes and makes prescribing so much easier. The range currently consists of colloidal oat cream, an emollient, gel and an ointment with corresponding degrees of greasiness. There really is something for everyone and the whole range is drug tariff listed. They're also the only range that has a starter pack available, which allows your patients to try each of the four products in the range. This can reduce the need for multiple prescriptions and practice visits for the patient in their journey to choose the emollient that suits them best, which as we all know, is always the best option. I encourage you to try Aproderm with your patients. Thanks again to Aproderm for sponsoring this groundbreaking podcast and helping us to provide our patients with the best possible care.
you get patients taking their prescription to the pharmacist, pharmacist dispenses it, you'll see the instructions on it, and then you'll see words like sparingly, use sparingly, or perhaps use cautiously. Now, for me, they're as good as a chocolate fire guard, because what is cautious <laughs> to one person, you know, some people are cautious crossing the road, some people sort of, you know, can happily go up Everest. So you, patients... You've got to be a little bit careful about the words we use when we're talking about topical steroids because patients listen to what we say. And if you use the word cautious, then red flags start to wave for some of them, don't they? They do indeed. And, and they mean absolutely nothing, don't they? Um, yeah. As you say. And, and they just alarm patients into failing to use their treatment effectively. One of the I think few sensible, really sensible things in the world of medicine is that every tube of cream or ointment, whether it's a 100 gram tube of Dovibet or a 15 gram tube of Bactroban, comes with a five millimeter nozzle. So the amount that is squeezed out onto an adult index finger to cover from the very tip of the finger back to that first crease, which is about an inch, is one fingertip unit. And that sausage of cream or ointment weighs roughly half a gram. So a 30 gram tube contains 60 fingertip units and each fingertip unit is of ointment or cream is sufficient to cover an area of skin the size of two adult palms. So if a patient's using this treatment once a day, it's very easy in your head to work out how much they're going to need to treat the area of skin that you're wanting to treat adequately. You can work out that, you can then be sure that you prescribe the right quantity for the patient so that they have enough to, to continue treating it at that dose until you next need to review things. All too often I've encountered patients who've been advised to treat their skin problem. They've been asked to return in four weeks for review, but they've only really been given enough to treat it adequately for perhaps a week or two. And so it's essential that we also give this important message by giving perhaps two or three tubes or a very large tube and say, I'd like to think that you've used all of that by the time I next see you. That's the sort of quantity you need to be getting through to get the outcome that I'm looking for. That's such a vital point, isn't it? And we touched on this in a previous podcast, didn't we, when we talked about emollient use and how frequently yeah. not enough emollient is prescribed for our patients and the impact of that on their on their skin. Now, thinking about it, I don't know if this has happened to you, and I'm sure it has, George. I'm often surprised at the number of times that if I've prescribed a patient an emollient and a topical steroid of, of whatever flavor, one of the first questions that I'm asked is, well, which should I put on first, Doc? Do I put the, the emollient or the topical steroid? Uh, and again, you know, we can sort of pay your money and it takes your choice. I usually perhaps like to put the emollient on first, but what's your views that you've garnered over the years on this slightly thorny question? Well, also do I on balance, but I really don't think it matters. And, and there are arguments both ways for which one should go on first. But I think the only really important thing is to have at least a 30 minute interval between applications. So remember the steroids only going on once a day as an ointment at bedtime. Maybe the most important leave-on emollient could go on in the morning, and then they can have additional applications of that during the day, but then have a good 30-minute interval. But like you, if it were me, I'd apply the emollient first and covering a large area. So, for example, you're thinking if a child with eczema, they'd probably have a bedtime bath. When they get out of the bath, their skin is warm and moist. Just dab them dry. Don't dry them vigorously, which will just aggravate the itch. 
And then when the skin's still got a bit of moisture on it, you can coat them from head to foot in a generous dose of emollient. Just lather it on, stroking it down their body. And that can be a really fun thing to get on with. It's certainly something I enjoy with my grandchildren, or they enjoy, should I say. And then half an hour later, when they finish their bedtime story, you can then get out the tube of ointment and carefully apply that to the areas that still need treatment. I think that's the way to do it. Finally, don't forget to, to wash your hands and fingers after applying the topical steroids, unless, of course, you're treating your hands. Otherwise, that small residue that's left on your hands can be transferred, for example, onto your face when your hands are up against your face overnight. And there it can cause all sorts of unintended problems. Yeah, good, good point. It's often forgotten. If you're embarrassingly old as I am going back to medical student days, the dermatology training essential is if it's dry, wet it, and if it's wet, dry it. And if you're really stuck, slap some topical steroid onto it. One thing we would never really taught amongst many other things was about tapering steroids down and that's something I've learned over the years and I I have come to the conclusion that you should just not suddenly stop topical steroids. Have you evolved a a tapering down regime that you tend to recommend and, and why that should be the case? I think it's such an important point, Roger. Yeah, if you've got an inflammatory skin condition, there's still going to be inflammatory memory in the skin, even once the the skin has returned to looking more normal. But typically, if an adequately strong topical steroid has been prescribed and used appropriately, I'd expect things to be improving significantly within a fortnight or so. And it's so important at that point not to stop the topical steroid abruptly. Because one of the things you'll see is that the skin just, the inflammatory skin condition just is likely to rebound rapidly. And so you're just flaring up and controlling and flaring it. So we need to taper the treatment off. One way to do this is to reduce the potency of the treatment. But I find that can get com- quite confusing. Of course, it involves at least two prescriptions and can cause confusion when the patient goes home and they can't quite remember which was the potent one and which one was the the weaker one and which one to use first and so on. So I prefer to taper down by reducing the number of days of treatment. And the most effective method I think is now in, in regular practice is what's called weekend therapy, where you simply ask the patient to apply the treatment. Once it's under control, you drop straight down to weekend therapy on Saturday nights and Sunday nights for a further few weeks, once things have settled down, just to be sure that you keep things nicely at bay. But we must remember that topical steroids are not licensed for long-term use. Having said that though, there are some really tricky inflammatory skin conditions, for example, lichen planus and lupus on the skin, lichen sclerosis, just to name a few, where long-term use becomes sadly necessary and they are the most effective agents that we have. Yeah, we, we do. We do it. We also have a number of situations where we have the option to use topical steroids, but it isn't crucial that we do, as in, say, lichen sclerosis. In other words, we've got other effective treatments available, but there can be situations where steroids are really the only effective option aren't there and we have to sort of just bite the bullet and accept that we have to ride this particular horse with the potential risks that go with it. Yeah, indeed there are sadly, but at least topical steroids are non-staining, they don't smell and of course they are very effective in these situations, well they can be very effective. The sort of situations where I'm thinking that steroids are really the only 
effective option apart from more powerful treatments by mouth include things like, for example, discoid eczema, which is often secondarily affected because it's so intensely itchy the patient can't leave it alone. So the infection often needs management as well. Lichen planus, lichen sclerosis heterotrophicus, of course, pemphigoid and pemphigus, where I'd mm. often want to use a, a steroid sparing agent because you may need to use steroids for a long time. So I, what I like there is oral nicotinamide and maybe a topical nicotinamide, but the more traditional agent would be a tetracycline orally. Erosive pustular dermatosis, a condition usually on the scalp in an older person, which I sometimes describe as steroid deficiency. But this is a really inflammatory condition. There are other things we can use, protopic, and uh, these are off license and calcium trial, or calcium trial rather, and other things have been looked at, even topical levosartan. But to be honest, the one that really works, works rapidly, is, is a topical steroid. And as I've already said, lupus on the skin, along with sunblock and the maybe an emollient, it really does need a steroid. And that's the thing that works. Absolutely. So I hope to everyone listening that um, George and I do hope you found this overview about topical steroids interesting, obviously helpful, and allows you to have more confidence in prescribing for and managing your own particular patients who are on topical steroids. So Roger and I really do hope that you will join us again in a week's time where we'll be discussing some of the potentially tricky areas of topical steroid use, some of which you may not have considered. But we'd also really like to thank our sponsor, Aproderm, for all their help in putting these rash decision podcasts together. We couldn't have done it without them. So until the next time, it's goodbye from George. Goodbye. And as always, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.